The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Father, our hearts do long that we'd be overcome by your presence. Uh, Lord, we move into a time of teaching your word. And I am just standing here thinking, you know, we're inviting the Holy Spirit in. I'm thinking how infinitely better he is at teaching your truth than I am. So I want to yield now, uh, ask you to get me out of the way that your Holy Spirit would work and minister powerfully through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Got to carry my table to work here today. Sorry, dude. Had that out of there for the baptism, in case you're wondering why we're ill-prepared for my next feat of strength. We'll see what goes. Hey, we get to start into the book of Galatians today, which is one of my favorite books of the Bible. Uh, up there, I'd say, at least in the top three. But uh, the... Um, a lot of times we link it, okay, the, the New Testament is set up where we've got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then we go to the book of Acts, the book of history of the early church. Then there are some long epistles. You have Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. And then you get into what I guess we'd kind of group together as these shorter epistles. You have Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians in there and Thessalonians and like that. Usually we think of Galatians as going in there with Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. Actually, those three books were written later by Paul while he was in prison. Galatians actually fits better with those longer epistles of Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians because it's something that Paul wrote very early. Now, it's a, it has six chapters. It's divided up. First of all, you got two chapters that are somewhat personal. Then you got two chapters that are very doctrinal. And then you have two chapters that are very practical. Great order there because you got the doctrinal, here's what we believe, practical, so here's how we live. That is a pattern you see throughout Scripture. Believe it, live it like that. But uh, the first chapters, first couple chapters are somewhat personal. So this sermon will probably be a little bit more teachy than preachy. Okay? Now, but we know around here. Okay, for those of you that are guests, I get highly offended when a boring pastor, uh, they just say, well, he's more the teacher type. I hate that. Um, having been a teacher for 30 years, it personally offends me. Uh, hey, he's boring. Hey, he must be more of a teacher type. Today will be more of a teachy type sermon, but it will not be boring. Amen. Wake yourselves up and get ready. Here, here we go. As uh, so we go into the book of Galatians, uh, Galatians has been called the Magna Carta of the faith. Martin Luther called it that because it is a declaration of the freedom we have in Christ. Uh, one of the main words that comes across main ideas, actually the main word is the word grace. Okay. And most of us understand, I hope if we've been around a while, we understand that salvation is by grace. In other words, it is a gift of God. Okay. We cannot earn it uh, by grace through faith. However, we get a, where we get a little confused is a lot of times after salvation, we like to work works back into our life and into our relationship to God. And Paul's going to address that through this book big time. He's going to help us walk in grace. All right. You ready? Chapter one. Uh, very fancy outline today. We have nine notes from Galatians, so you can keep, uh, keep score at home. Nine notes. 
There we go. So starting in chapter one, verse number one, Paul, here's who I am. I'm an apostle, not of men, not nor through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Notice the word churches. Uh, Galatia is not a town. It is an area. It's where Asia Minor or today Turkey is. Uh, multiple churches that he wrote to there. Uh, but the uh, first thing in, we talk about is just a little of the background as to why he was writing. Uh, Paul, the apostle, was specifically chosen by God, an apostle who sent with a mission, and that mission was he was to take the gospel to thee. Anybody want to fill in the blank? Gentiles, that's right. Paul was the missionary to the Gentiles, uh, not to Jewish people, but to the Gentiles in particular. Almost strange because he was such a devout Jew ahead of time. I mean, he knew Judaism in and out, but he's taking the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, Paul went on the first missionary journey, he and Barnabas, and they visited the island of Cyprus, and they went up into this area of Galatia, and they, uh, they had a bunch of uh, people be come to Christ and begin to follow Christ, and were excited about living for Christ. But what happened after that is there were some people from the church at Jerusalem or from Jerusalem that will be known as the Judaizers, okay? And what they did is they came around and said, Paul has been telling you that you can get saved as a Gentile simply by uh, faith in Jesus Christ. It is a gift of God. You can have it like that. That's not right. You have to become a Jew. Only the Jews can get saved. So they came, they came around with that message, and you will see Paul is not real happy. If you think about pouring your life into something, this is my calling, this is my passion, and he does this, and then to have somebody come around afterwards as a false teacher and share something different, you'll see Paul get pretty excited about this, even in chapter 1 as we go through here. But... Um, but the, 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 so the, the context of it or the background of this, oh, I wanted to say, say this too. The, if you think of the Judaizers, I want you to think of the term legalist. They were the original legalists. What that meant is they were adding in works. You must keep the law. That's what they're telling them. But, but I want to take a minute and talk to you about legalism because we see it somewhat different today, especially if you have someone of a church background. When you hear the word legalist, when you think of somebody who's being caught in legalism, you probably think of them being in a church where there are a bunch of rules. Okay, now I mentioned this before. My background uh, is very, very strong in that area. Okay, um, I could, I, I was going to take just, just a minute, uh, maybe a little, little goofiness for, for a second. But, uh, yeah, I always said our college has so many rules, you know, God never even thought of, but they are a bunch of man-made rules and, and everything like that. Just to illustrate for you, people think, oh, I know what you mean. No, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you've actually been there, you really don't know the, the extent of it. For example, in college, we were not allowed to have any contact with a person of the opposite sex. You mean like no public display of affection? That makes sense. No, we were not allowed to have any contact. We literally had a six-inch rule where you had to stay six inches apart. Some of you are like, eh. yeah, we really did. Uh, and in fact, they, but they had one exception in there. They said if the sidewalks are icy, you could offer your arm to a lady. That was the only time. I spent a lot of winters with a garden hose out there trying to uh, some things up there. Uh, see how much it could, it could go because that's that the only chance you had. Uh, but I say that with all the legalistic rules that I live with, I really wasn't hurt by them. 
okay? What I mean is a lot of things, they, uh, I have no cultural knowledge of the uh, 80s in particular. <laughs> Don't ask me what the hit songs were. I didn't listen to any secular music. I have very little movie knowledge because I only sneaked off and saw one, um, which I wasn't supposed to do. But, uh, you know, very little cultural knowledge. Do you know that really hasn't hurt me a whole lot? What hurts is this. When a person begins to equate keeping the rules to relationship with God, Okay, in other words, this is how I get my relationship with God. This is how I maintain my relationship with God. And by the way, if you don't do the same things, you don't have a very good relationship with God. I'm more spiritual than you are. That's where legalism gets really ugly. So, you know, I always say, hey, if a family, for example, says, you know what, we're going to have our home without a TV. I'm okay with that. More power to you. Uh, you'd probably be better, better off. But, uh, but so it is not just having some rules that you live with to help you. Like an alcoholic who would say, I'm not going to any, any restaurant that serves alcohol. Something like that. He has rules that help him. But when I begin to think that my relationship to God is based on my rule keeping, that's where the problem come in, comes in. And the Judaizers were the ultimate example of the legalists who believe that uh, the rules had to be kept in order to be close to God. We'll see Paul tells quite a different story there. Okay, so we note the background. We note the greeting real quickly here. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In every other letter that Paul writes, he has something positive to say about the church. Even Corinthians, and that church was a mess. They had more problems than we can than we can even begin to count right now. But he'd start off and he said, I'm thankful for you. He doesn't do that with Galatians. He is so passionate about getting right into what he wants to talk about. He does say grace and peace to you, a typical greeting there, which always in that order, by the way, because grace is going to bring peace. But he says grace and peace to you. He doesn't stop and praise them. He says, let's get down to business here. I need to talk to you. So let's note what he says next. We can note the gift that he talks about. From Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins and delivered us from this present evil age according to the will of God the Father, that he has given himself, uh, note the gift, if you will. When I was a um, young man, uh, my brother and sister are quite a bit older than me, and they had a good time keeping me in the Santa Claus world for a long time. In other words, I believed in Santa Claus until I was 20. <laughs> no, not quite that old, but, uh, but for quite a while. But I remember the Christmas in, in heartbreaking detail when uh, I asked for something and my mother said, we can't afford that. And I said, I know, that's why you asked Santa Claus. I know you can't afford it. And my mother explained to me that she had to pay Santa Claus for the gifts. That was, that was the first step in just crushing my heart. Uh, you know, wait, wait a minute. You have to pay Santa Claus for the gifts. It just kind of ruined it. Didn't seem like much of a gift anymore when you had to pay for it. Would you agree? Okay, so he talks about the one who has given himself, Jesus Christ, to deliver us, uh, to bring, bring forgiveness. Note the gift. Note the surprise. <laughs> what I mean is, Paul said this, to whom the glory is forever and ever, talk about Jesus, amen. He said, I am astonished that you so quickly are deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Now, we're going to look at that different gospel in a second here, but notice what Paul says. He says, it hasn't been that long. I was just there. You had just trusted Jesus. Remember, we were praising him. We were rejoicing that you got uh, saved. You put your faith in him. You were beginning to experience the Christian life, and now these other guys come around and you're following what they said. No, don't do it. He said, I am amazed that you did this so quickly. 
Now, as we note the surprise, let us realize that this can happen incredibly quickly. People can be sucked into lies and follow after lies so quickly. So we need to be ever diligent, ever vigilant to be rooted and grounded in the truth of Jesus Christ because the lies have always been everywhere and today they are more easily accessible. Aren't they cell phones and computers? They're everywhere. Now, like I said, the lies have always been there. They've been there since the garden. Hey, eat this fruit. You'll be like God. Uh, the, Satan's been telling lies forever. That's what he does. He is ever lying. And there are lies out there that are going to suck us into false teaching all the time. But we need to be diligent about knowing the truth of God because it is very easy to go after a different gospel. Now, let's talk about that for a second. Let's note the difference. Let's read a little bit more. He said you've gone after the, a different gospel. Sorry, we're going to stay here for a second. What is that difference? Difference is good. <laughs> My wife and I like to tell each other that change is good. Change is good. We don't want to be old toots, uh, you know, that, that are just, you know, oh, I know that's not how it was when I was a kid. We don't want to be that. Uh, and as, as we get a little older, we keep telling ourselves, change is good. Change is good. Different is okay. We're okay with different. If you knew our kids, we have to be. Uh, they're very different. And, uh, you know, so change is good. Difference is good. Let me tell you something, though. This difference that we're talking about here, not good. Not good at all. A change to the gospel or an addition to the gospel is a totally different gospel. And this particular difference, when we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, not good. In fact, in the verse, the words in some translation that is used is distorted, perverted, twisted, reversed. When we add to the gospel uh, and preach what is a different gospel, in fact, Paul's going to say in a minute here, if there was even such a thing, difference is not good because there is only one way. Um, they, at this uh, Adventist church up the road here, they've been doing this thing. I don't know if they still are. They were calling it the forgotten skills, and they were doing different classes. One of those forgotten skills is sewing. I know they were having sewing classes because that's a forgotten skill. We didn't forget, did we? We never learned. Uh, we, we have no idea. You're missing a button? Throw it out. Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, but, uh, the, but that's one of the big things is sowing. Here's, here's a picture that I want you to kind of get. When Jesus died on the cross, three miracles happened. The graves were open, and there was darkness on the earth. The third miracle is there's this veil in the temple. And this super heavy-duty veil, I could go into the description of it, we will at another time. Uh, but this veil was only open for the priest once a year, the high priest, when he could go in the place, because that veil separated man from God. And he could only go in there at this one time when he had gone through all this ceremonial cleansing and everything like that. That veil was between God and man. When Jesus died, that veil was ripped and it was ripped from top to bottom to show that only God could have ripped it apart. Uh, that veil is open now that we have access through Jesus Christ, through his shed blood. And uh, that's made out. Do you know, though, that if you study history, some of the devout Jews decided that that wasn't a good thing. And do you know that that veil was eventually sewn back together? Do you know that? 
If you study the history of it, they just went in and they said, well, we can't have this. <laughs> it's torn. We're going we're gonna to repair it. We're going to sew it back together. I want you to remember that picture because when we add to the gospel, that's exactly what we do. God has ripped open and given us access to God. And when we go back to the works and we work them in there and say, no, wait a minute, this is something else I have to do when I add to it. We've actually sewn that veil back up and said, boy, in order for me to have access to God, I have to behave a certain way or I have to do this. No, that way was purchased through Jesus Christ and him alone. That veil's torn. And there is no doubt it was a miraculous, hey, this is more like preaching than teaching. I told you it was going to be fun. Uh, but uh, but don't, uh, don't, don't miss this, folks. Another gospel is not even, and, and folks, would you think about this here for a second? There are, stay with me here for a second. There are many different ways to God, of course. You can be a Buddhist and follow the guy with the, sits like that, you know. Uh, you can, uh, you know, you follow whatever. There are many different paths to God. We all know that to be true. So the path that we talk about is that, that the Son of God was, gave his life for us. That he humbled himself, first of all, and came from heaven to earth. Lived a perfect sin, sinless life and laid down that sinless life. As I, say, I mean, he was tortured. He was beaten. He was mocked. He lived in poverty on this, on this earth. But there's plenty of other ways to get to heaven. Can you understand how that doesn't even make sense? If there were plenty of other ways to get to heaven, that's the most cruel miscarriage of justice that has ever taken place that Jesus Christ would be crucified. There is no other way. Jesus prayed in the garden, Father, if it's possible, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Well, let's do it a different way. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours, and he laid down his life. Okay? So note that there, it, that there, there is a big difference between the gospel that is being preached, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and religion. Note that difference. Remember that difference. We also want to note, if we can, the offense of the gospel. Not that there is another one. <laughs> he just said, uh, you're following a different gospel, and he says, not that there is another one. Okay, you get, you get that right. Uh, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort, they want to twist, they want to bend the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're noting that there is a great offense with this. Why? First of all, the gospel is going to offend our pride, okay? Instead of saying, hey, hey what can I do to earn heaven? We are asked to trust in the one who has done everything. It's all been done for me. And now I have to recognize that I need a rescue. That's just that just offends my pride. What do you mean I need rescued? I need help from somebody. Secondly, I got to recognize I can't rescue myself. And then when I do get saved, when I do follow Christ, they don't give me any credit for it. It's all him. So everything about the gospel is going to offend my pride. It is also going to offend my wisdom. Here's what I mean. Remember this, what I was just talking about, God's plan of salvation and sending his son? You might think, oh, I don't get that. Why would God do that? That doesn't even, it doesn't make sense. You know, how can that be the way that God has provided for everything? You might be thinking, saying, I ought to come up with a different way. I ought to come up with a different strategy. He's God. He could do whatever. And it, it probably offends sometimes just our thinking. We might look at that and say, it doesn't quite make sense to me. It offends our knowledge also. Someone has risen from the dead. No, death is final. 
How can you talk about the resurrection? And, and we come down to that idea that this miracle, this resurrection of Christ that Paul's already referred to in his writings uh, that we looked at there that he wants to say is that cornerstone miracle, is that foundational miracle of all that we believe. If Christ being not risen from the dead, our faith is completely in vain. But that's uh, but nobody's risen from the dead. This is offensive. They don't want to believe that. I don't, I don't quite see that. We have hope in the future because of the resurrection. So you can focus now on, in this life, you can focus on the problems of this present day or we can focus on the promises of the future as far as how we're going to look, look at life. And everything about those promises of the future rests in the resurrection. If Christ be not risen, then when we die, we stay dead too. If Christ be not risen, there is no power over death. There is no eternal life. Everything is focused on that. But that idea of the resurrection maybe is just, it just offends our knowledge. We don't really want to accept it. It also, we ought to note the anger. I, I mentioned this before. You're going to see what, what Paul does here. He says, but even if we or even if an angel from heaven comes down and preaches to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you. So if I ever change my tune, in fact, if an angel comes down here and tells you something different, let him be accursed. The word some of you might be familiar with is anathema. Okay, let them be accursed. As we have said before, now so I say to you again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one, uh, to, to the one you have received, let him be accursed. And go through that. Okay? Anybody who's going to do this. Now, a shepherd is another name for a pastor. A pastor is called a shepherd, uh, an overseer. Uh, sometimes in Scripture called a bishop or whatever like that. But uh, the role that an elder has in the church is to be a shepherd. Now, when you think of the shepherd, the good shepherd, uh, think of the 23rd Psalm. And what's, what two things does the shepherd have? Your what and your what? Rod and your staff. Okay, the staff, if you think of a shepherd having a staff, he's going to guide, he's going to direct, he's going to keep the sheep safe. The rod, he is going to smack the sheep upside the head. No, that is not what he's going to do. Uh, that would have, the rod was actually more like a club in a day that, that he would have. It was not for the sheep. Who was it for? The, the predators, that's right, the wolves. It was for the wolves. I mentioned this to say um, and, and again, sometimes I like to throw little things in here to keep myself accountable because as you get older, as I get older, I mellowed. Uh, I'm a nicer person. Yeah, my wife's agreeing with me somewhat. Uh, I don't get as angry with my grandkids as I do, did with my kids. <laughs> I'm mellowing a little, a little bit there like that. And even as a pastor sometimes, I'm a little bit more mellow than I used to be. I mean, I used to, of course, when you're young, you think you know everything, so you could be dogmatic about stuff. The older I get, the more I realize, I don't know anything. Uh, I better be careful. But I do want to call myself into account here because Paul was passionate about no wait a minute I've told these people the truth I've told them about Jesus Christ the resurrected Savior they've trusted in him you're going around and you're lying okay let them be accursed if that's what they're going to do okay he ain't playing around he is angry and I ought to have that same passion for anybody that is leading you down the wrong path Okay, so if there's a, ever a time to see the pastor gets angry, it's not because he doesn't get his way on a church vote, uh, or it's not because they uh, gave Josh the new truck. <laughs> no, maybe, sorry, uh, but uh, it's not because of this thing. But the time is because somebody is teaching the people of God a lie. 
Okay? Somebody is leading them down the wrong path. And that should be reason for a very divinely orchestrated anger. Now, notice testimony. Now, we've got to read quite a bit more here in Galatians chapter 1 as Paul is going to share his testimony. For I would have you to know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by, uh, by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's referring to what happened in Acts chapter 9, the story of his conversion. Uh, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism. I was an expert. Uh, I persecuted the church of God violently. I tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. In other words, I was a leader Uh, among the Pharisees, okay? Uh, Paul, a very driven man, and he was very successful in that area. I was so extremely zealous, uh, was I, that the traditions of my fathers, when he was set, I'm sorry, but when he had set me apart, talking about Jesus, I was born, who called me by his what? By his grace, who pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, okay? What he said is, I have a calling from God. I'm not answering to man, okay? I have a calling from God. I answer to him, and I answer to him alone. We had, um, there's, there's a fellow, his name is Newt Larson. He is a, was a pastor for a long time in Akron. He lives over in Three Oaks. And uh, he was giving me a little counsel on pastoring a few years back, and he showed up here for church one Sunday morning. I remember he sat right in there. I have never been so nervous in my life. And now you find this hard to believe, but I walked around a lot that day when I preached. Yeah, shocker, I know. Uh, actually, he told me, he said, you need to stand still. Uh, I've never seen somebody walk around that, around that much. Uh, he said, you just seemed really hyper. I said, I was, you were there. Uh, but, uh, the, uh, but I, you know, I was kind of preaching, thinking about him being in the crowd the whole time. What needs to take place is I need to think Uh, that Jesus is here with us every week and preach with that in mind and that in mind alone. I'm not here to make anybody else happy. What I am here to do is try to proclaim God's truth and preach as though Jesus is in the crowd. Uh, In fact, uh, he is. Yeah, Uh, we'll, we'll go with that. Okay, but Paul goes on, nor did I go up to Jerusalem by those who were apostles before me. What he is saying here in all this is he's trying to uh, defend his discipleship a little bit. He's saying, I didn't answer those guys, the, these guys that have come in false teaching to begin with. Here's what happened. After I got saved, I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Cephas as Peter and remained there 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So what he does, he's he's kind of giving his testimony. And I thought it is worth noting as we look at his testimony that our story is for God's glory. And the most powerful witness, somebody asked in a small group a couple weeks ago, you know, how do you go about sharing the gospel? I I don't know how to do that. Well, there are great ways to learn to do that. Uh, However, step number one and always going to be most important is sharing my story. Here's what happened in my life. I don't know too much else. What I do know is here's what Jesus has done in my life. Here's the difference that, that, that he has made. So note, if you will, the testimony, our story for his glory. 
One more thing I want to call your attention to. Oh, I'm sorry. We'll finish the passage. For I, uh, for what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. It's before God. Then I went into the regions of, of Syria and Sicilia, and I was still the unknown person in the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it, who were hearing it said, he who used to persecute is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorify God because of me. My story, his glory, that's what he wants to use. There's one other note that I wanted to mention from chapter 1, and I say note the time. The reason I say that is a lot of times when we read through Scripture, we miss the time framework of things, okay? Mo, uh, you know, Moses, okay, is... Uh, um, called to be a great leader, but what happened before he became that great leader? 40 years in the desert, 40 years, okay? Paul is going to be the, the missionary to the Gentiles, but you will notice in our text that it was three years after his salvation when he was off in preparation. I say that because, you know, I think sometimes as we read Scripture, we think, well, this happened, and then boom, magically. I, I want to remind you that our our faith in Christ, our growth in Christ is going to take some time. So we give grace to ourselves and we give grace to other people. Understand? Sometimes we're like, why am I still here? You know, why am I, why haven't I moved forward? Why haven't I grown more like that? But understand that this process of this new life in Christ and understanding how it plays out into my life, uh, dealing with my old nature and, and yielding to the spirit of God and allowing him to control me, that is going to take some time. So I want to be patient with myself. I want to give myself grace and I want to give others grace. Now, um, I mentioned, and this is the big thing that I can't wait to get to more into Galatians as Paul gets into uh, why or how we live this life by grace. You know, like I said, he, I mean, he's going he's gonna to tell them straight up, hey, you guys, are you being stupid here? Okay, you know you get saved, and I'm not, that's not a rough translation. He says, says that. Uh, you, you know you got saved by grace, and now all of a sudden your life is all about works, and we get sucked into that. That appeals to our nature. We go back to that all the time. So I can't wait to get, but I wanted to give you two quick illustrations just to kind of wrap up today, and, and as quickly as I can here. Um, I need you to introduce you to my mom and dad. Dad is five foot five. He lied and said five six. Uh, he was always incredibly, there's no other word. He was scrawny. Uh, I shouldn't have said always. In later life, he became a little bit of a butterball, but he was a, he was a little guy. He, re he really was. Mom, some of you met mom. Mom was not either of those things. <laughs> mom was about 5'10", uh, and mom was never described as scrawny. We'll just leave it like, like that. They were a great square dancing that uh, uh, should be on video somewhere, and it's not. Uh, but uh, I will always remember a family vacation where they were out in a paddle boat, and dad had climbed out, and mom couldn't get out of the paddle boat. And she said, well, help me. You know, and he tried. <laughs> and he tried. Uh, and he tried. One of the greatest family fights we can ever remember on vacations. Uh, and I uh, actually ended up with both of them in the water. It's a great story. But, um, but we weren't allowed to laugh about it for many, many years <laughs> afterwards. Okay, that's one. I want you to keep that image for a second. One other one real quickly. I used to live by where our church parked its buses. It's, it's, uh, they had a, quite a few church buses. And one night I got a call. It was probably about 10 o'clock at night. There was a group coming back from Chicago, and their bus had broken down. They needed me to get a bus and come get them. So I jumped in as fast as I could. I got the bus. I took off over there. I got to the uh, 
Chicago, I'm sorry, Illinois, Indiana line, my bus broke down. <laughs> Some of you remember church buses and aren't surprised at all. But, uh, uh, but yeah, I, uh, so I, any, anyway, one of the longest nights of my life, you know, out, out there on the road uh, trying to figure out. But with both those illustrations, I want you to think about this. We, the Bible talks about the fact that we are in need of a rescue. Okay, we are in need of somebody to help us. We want to make sure that that somebody, in other words, is, is strong enough to help us. The Bible says about the Lord that he is able to save. We want to make sure that he is able. Okay, secondly, you don't want to get on a, another broken down bus or another ship that's going to sink, you know, when you're being rescued. You want to uh, get on that place of safety. And what Paul says is, hey, if you're... Yeah, there's, if you want to say another gospel, there's some other ideas. People are going to change this up and add some other things to it. But if you want to have somebody that is able to save, that is actually strong enough to do that and help you. If you want to have a, a rescue vehicle that is actually trustworthy, okay, there is only one gospel. There is only one way. God sent his only begotten son and said, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That is the only uh, safe bet as far as that goes. And I know, I know uh, when, I, when I preach this, oh, I don't quite agree with that. There's got to be a bunch of different ways to God. And Oprah would agree with you 100%. I know that. I, I know, I've heard her say that. But if I'm going to be true to the Bible, I'm going to tell you the exact opposite. I'm going to tell you what the Apostle Paul said, and that is, these folks, they're adding extra stuff in here, folks. That is a totally different gospel, and, they, and, and, and I need to take my club, if you will, and beat off those wolves because they are teaching you a lie. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the gospel of grace. It is a gift of God, and in future weeks, we're going to really dig into and study a little bit more what it means not only to know that for salvation, but also to live it forward. The team's going to come back up so we can close with a song. Hey, uh, I like to say this. If, if I'm saying something and you want to ask me questions, you want to argue with me, anything, uh, I'll be glad to talk, talk more about this because um, I think that's so passionate. I mean, what, what else can... Is there more important to talk about today? I mean, we got stuff going on in the world that's big time. And even the, the great stuff that has to do with prophecy and everything going on has nothing compared to this. Because we are going to live in the problems of this world. We want to do it with the promises of the next. Okay? And I want to keep focusing on the promises of the next that I might deal with the problems of this world. What are we singing? I forgot. Holy Spirit, let's, let's sing that again. Amen. Let's stand and sing. Father, we're so thankful that we can gather in your presence and experience that. Uh, Lord, I pray right now just that you would remind us, remind us uh, of the truth that uh, we're not leaving your presence now. Your presence has taken up residence in our lives. And uh, we, we just sang, let us be you know, more mindful. Let us recognize that. May that be a prayer as we walk out of here. Uh, still understanding that your spirit dwells in believers and that, uh, you know, that that could be our uh, ever before us as we go through everything, family life, uh, work life, everything, Lord. Uh, may these be spiritually given over to you, I pray for your power. In Jesus' name, amen.
You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.